0: we're going to the book of philemon and uh look at this very very short book it's one chapter and uh paul writes this particular letter from rome while he is in prison and uh as you know, we've been on relationships for quite some time. And what I'd like to look at today is the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon and Onesimus. And also the writer, the Apostle Paul. This is a little letter that Paul writes to Philemon, but it gives us a big lesson on how the gospel transforms relationships. Whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a brother-sister relationship, spiritually or physically. Or a coworker or employer, an employee. Listen, the gospel transforms relationships. And that's what I want to see happen today. I don't want it just to inform us. I want to transform us. You can go a lot of places and be informed. It's one thing to be informed. It's something else to be transformed, changed. And I have an outline of the sermon. If you do not have one in your possession, if you will raise your hand, Brother Steve will make sure you get one. I want everyone to have an outline. Relationships at times are difficult for a number of reasons. Now I'm going to say that again because I want you to understand that relationships at times are difficult for a number of reasons. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter if it's husband and wife christians and believers relationships are hard Uh, someone wrote it this way one reason is because of selfishness and another reason that relationships are hard is because of the failure to communicate especially when you first get married you remember those first few years how that you thought you were communicating or you didn't realize you were communicating and all of a sudden the bottom falls out and there's a big argument because you either did not communicate or you communicated and it was certainly misunderstood. And there is another reason that, uh, that relationships are hard sometimes is because of presumption pride. We're too proud to own up and confess. Honey, I did wrong or I didn't mean that. Or when it comes to, even in the church, relationships in the church. Notice your introduction as you have it in your hands, I hope. Even though Philemon is a very short epistle, there's a lot here. This letter is from Paul and it tells us a lot about how Christians deal with each other it tells us about grace mercy kindness and forgiveness it is a demonstration it is a demonstration of the power of god to restore relationships this book shows the wonder of the grace of the lord jesus to us through the simple story of a runaway slave let us pray father I thank you for your word. We do not take your word lightly, but help us this morning to take it to heart. I pray that you not only speak to our ears and that we might hear you with our ears, but speak to our hearts and help us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Philemon was a Greek landowner in the town or the city of Colossae he had been converted under Paul's ministry and the Colossian church this is interesting met in his house he was a very wealthy man and as he walked over his estate one day he looked up and he looked down the road and he saw someone coming. And not being able to be close enough, he did not realize who it was. And this person kept walking toward him. And as he got closer, he looked at him and said, I'll just be dog. That's that scoundrel coming back, Onesimus. I wonder what he wants. I wonder what I will do with him. Because, listen, if a slave left, and especially if they did what Onesimus did, robbed or took something illegally from the slave owner, uh, the slave owner could do two things. He could either have him killed or have an F Branded with an iron, hot iron on his forehead that represented that he was a fugitive. So this figure kept coming. And the closer he got, the more that this Christian, he was a Christian. Uh, Now, I, I want to say something here that I think is very important. The Apostle Paul never condoned slavery. Now, he addressed it within the confines of the culture or his society. Historically, evangelical Christianity is the root of the move to abolish slavery worldwide. If there ever was a book which speaks against all the abuses of slavery, it is the Bible. It is where, if it were rather not for Christianity and the influence of the life and minister of Jesus Christ, this writer says there is no doubt that slavery would still be a worldwide phenomenon. The year of 2007 marked the 200th anniversary of the abolition of the slave trade by the British Parliament. The campaign for abolition was spearheaded by devout Christians. And it stands to this day as perhaps the finest political achievement of what would now be called faith-based activism. And especially the Quakers here in America worked along with believers, along with Christians, to abolish slavery. And it is interesting to know that Paul, as I said, did address slavery because of the Roman slave uh, practice and and all the other things that went on. But here is this rich man, Philemon, as as I said, noticing this slave coming back to him. And no doubt he was wondering, what am I going to do with Onesimus? But when Onesimus got to him, he reached in his coat or cloak and he pulled out a letter And he handed it to his former master. Philemon opened the letter and he began to read. And this is how it read. And if you allow me, I want to read it from the message. Because I wanted it to sound like it was written for today. And here is the 25 verses of this one chapter of this short book, Philemon, that the apostle Paul, sitting in a prison, writes to his spiritual son, Philemon. I, Paul, am a prisoner for the sake of Christ, here with my brother Timothy. I write this letter to you, Philemon, my good friend and companion in this work, also to our sister Aphia, And to Archippus, a real trooper, and to the church that meets in your house, God's best to you, Christ's blessings on you. Some say that was his wife and his son that he also, Philemon's wife and son that the apostle Paul was writing to. Verse 7, every time your name comes up in my prayers, Paul said, I say, oh, thank God for you. God, I keep hearing of a love and faith you have for your master, Jesus, which brims over to other believers. And I keep praying that this faith we hold in common, keeps showing up in the good things we do and that people recognize Christ in all of it. Friend, Paul calls him friend. You have no idea how good your love makes me feel. Doubly so when I see your hospitality to your fellow believers. In line with all this, I have a favor to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador, and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it necessary. But I had rather make it a personal request. While here in jail, Paul says, I father a child, so to speak. And here he is, hand carrying this letter, Onesimus. He was useless to you before, but now, but now he's useful to both of us. Paul goes on to say, "I'm sending him back to you, but it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. I wanted, in the worst way, to keep him here as your stand-in to help me." or help out rather, while I'm in jail for the message. But I didn't want to do anything, Paul said, behind your back. Make you do a good deed that you hadn't willingly agreed to do. Maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while. Love this statement. Maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while. You're getting him back now for good. No mere slave this time, but a true Christian brother that's what he wants to me he'll be even more than that to you so if you still consider me a comrade in arms welcome him back you would welcome him back as you would me I don't miss that one because Paul said listen if you would welcome me back and Paul and Philemon were good friends he said as you would welcome me back, welcome him back. If he damaged or has wronged you, damaged anything or owes you anything, chalk it up to my account. Charge it to my account. Charge it to me. This is my personal signature, Paul. And I stand behind it. I don't need to remind you, do I, that you owe your very life to me. Do, you this, do me this rather big favor, friend. You'll be doing it for Christ, but it will also do my heart good. I know you well enough to know you will. You'll probably go far beyond what I've written. And by the way, get a room ready for me because of your prayers. I I fully expect to be your guest again. Epiphras, my cellmate in the cause of Christ, says hello. Also, my co-workers, Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, all the best to you from the master Jesus Christ. Wow, what a letter. Uh, Look at the three main persons that we're talking about today. And I want you to think about relationships as we walk through this and we'll wear the time, but look at the three main persons who are featured in this epistle. First of all, there's Paul. I imagine that most of us, if not all of us, know of Paul and have read vividly behind him as he writes. Paul went from an enemy of the gospel to an apostle, the greatest preacher, teacher, theologian, and missionary that the church has ever known. And while he was... In Rome and in, uh, in, in, in prison in Rome, he could and was able to receive visitors. Keep that in mind. The second person I want you to look at is Philemon. Philemon, as I've already said, was a Greek landowner living in Colossae. He had been converted under Paul's ministry and the Colossian church met in his home. Paul wrote this letter to Philemon to ask him to be reconciled to a runaway slave. Then I want you to notice This once to be or once was slave, Onesimus. Now the name Onesimus, listen to this, means useful or profitable. But when Onesimus was with Philemon, he was Onesimus in name only. And a lot of people are Christian in name only. Because at that time he was not useful or was he profitable to Philemon. Philemon. But now he's profitable because his nature has been changed. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Onesimus had run away from Philemon with stolen goods. He came in contact with Paul who led him to Christ. After that, he met him in Rome. I would love to read between the lines and know how that this slave left uh, 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 Colossae went 1,200 miles to Rome, wound up meeting the apostle Paul, understanding the fact that Paul spoke life into him and he accepted Jesus Christ. And Paul said, listen, I'd rather cut my right arm off than be send him back because he's that useful to me. But I don't want to do, and I did not want to do anything behind your back. And so I'm sending him back to you. Paul urged him to return to his master and entreated Philemon to receive him, not as, a, not as a slave, I love this, but as a brother in the Lord. How the apostle approached Philemon provides us with a beautiful exhibition of Christian courtesy. So you have this wonderful story. You have these relationships. Here's Paul, the apostle. Here's Philemon, a a wealthy landowner that receives Christ as his personal savior. And here is this slave that runs away with some of Philemon's goods. What's God going to do here? I want you to notice, because I think if you, especially the preachers in this church, and maybe most of you, many of you, I want you to notice the truths that are learned. And every one of these, you could preach a sermon on. I won't this morning. But I want you to notice, first of all, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I thank God for the song that was sung this morning. Because no matter who you are, I uh, pulled out of Emerald Wood Drive and pulled out onto Coal Mill Road this morning and people were going and coming to Eno Park and Eno Park. In fact, I thought about calling off service and going down to the table down there and setting up study in Eno Park because that's where they were. Not really, but I, I got behind a car that had a bumper sticker on it of one of the presidential uh, runnies and uh, I won't say which one it was. But on the other side of the bumper was another bumper sticker that says, seek happiness. Seek happiness. I'm here to tell you, ain't no politician going to bring you happiness. Now, I'm here to tell you, no matter where you seek happiness from or at, you're not going to be happy except temporarily unless the happy giver gives it to you. Jesus Christ. Because it matters not who we are. We can live, doesn't matter, doesn't matter our income, doesn't matter our status in the world, no matter who we are, if we are in sin, we are a slave to sin. And I wept yesterday, and I wept because I watched and I see people that are so much in bondage. Doesn't matter if it's an addiction. Doesn't matter if it's pride, doesn't matter if it's just simple religion. A lot of people in bondage to religion. The Pharisees were. But Jesus Christ came that we might be free. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul, John, rather writes, as he writes in chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe, If you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, uh you are my disciples indeed verse thirty two and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How do you know the truth by knowing Jesus Christ? Because he is truth. He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that you and I can know the truth is through and by, through and by knowing Jesus Christ as our personal savior. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered the religious leaders. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Can you imagine them saying that while they were under, in bondage to the Romans at that particular time? But that's the way people in the world are. I'm, I'm free. I can go where I want to, do what I want to. Lay your head down on the pillow at night, turn out the light. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You'll find out. You can't get away, run away from anything. And that's another one I have here. We're in bondage. We're in bondage. Jesus answered them. Look at verse 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever. You can call yourself a Christian. You can call, you know, you can say whoever you are. But if we commit sin, we are a slave to sin. And I watch people often that they, they struggle to be free from sin and addictions and, and whether it's fear or whatever it might be. And I pray God this morning, and if any way that you're a slave to sin, that you will today be set free from that sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, say amen to this. You shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. He just didn't say you'll be free. He said you'll be free indeed. Have you been set free indeed? Amen. He will do that. So first of all, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, sin keeps you and I, keeps man at a distance from God. But not only does sin keep us a distance from God, it keeps us a distance from each other. You love your wife? As unbelievers, get saved. Begin to serve Jesus Christ and see what that does for your relationship. Number two, we are no longer a slave but a son. I love Galatians when it says this way, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Abba, as, as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then what? An heir. We are an heir, joint heir with Jesus Christ of God through Christ. Wow. Paul was introduced to Onesimus as a slave, and he sent him back as a son. And no matter the bondage, no matter the entrapment, no matter where we are in our life today, when we accept Jesus Christ, he sets us free. He sets us free. We are no longer a slave, but a son. There's an old song that I really like. It says, Jesus paid it all. Aren't you glad for that today? All to him I owe, but he paid it all. Number three, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. John 8, we just read that. In other words, 2 Corinthians says it this way. I believe that the debt is transferred. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's, that seems impossible. Humans, sinners weak as we are, that you and I might know Christ and become simply the righteousness of God? We are right through God. We are right through what Jesus Christ did for us. I rejoice over that verse every time I read it. (laughs) That we might become the righteousness of God. Can you imagine putting us and righteousness and God in the same breath? As ungodly We were created in the very uh, sinful life, and yet Jesus Christ, through his death, transferred that debt. Number four, it was a demonstration of love when when Paul said, Listen, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. Would you have liked to have been Onesimus carrying that letter? Because you know that Onesimus, I think, knew that Philemon knew Paul and knew if, hey, if he sent a letter, Philemon's probably going to do what, uh, uh, what Paul said and ask him to do. Wouldn't that have been nice to have had that letter? I've walked in offices and seen letters from very important people, whether it's the president of the United States, people frame them. They get a letter like that? Wouldn't you like to put that on your wall? And say, wow. Either I'm going to be killed or I'm going to be a fugitive the rest of my life. And yet this letter gives me freedom. This letter is written to my master. The master that was over me. This letter is written to him. Now I can stand free. Would not you like to have a letter like that? Wouldn't that be great? Hold up your Bible. Everybody, hold up your Bible. Hold up your Bible. That's the letter. That's the letter. You got it. Hallelujah. And when the devil comes against you and tries you, take out that letter and say, oh, here's what it says right here. I've been set free by the power of God. He makes me clean and whole. Paul said not only that, but if if, if he owes you anything, I mean, if he's done anything, and I can hear somebody say, Well, Pastor, I'm not sure God will forgive me. You don't know what I've done. Well, the blood of Jesus Christ cries out from the cross and says, Anything. And when the devil says, Hey, wait a minute. you've not been as good as this person, or you've done all of of these things. Well, what Jesus did, he forgave us of all those things. Everything, everything. Think of the worst things that you ever did. Think of the things that the devil would like to hold over your head and say, wait a minute, here's my letter. I've been forgiven everything. Paul says, charge it to my account. (laughs) I love that. You got to write a song about that. Somebody ought to charge it to my account. Hallelujah. I want you to accept him just like you accepted me. Just like you would accept me. And so when I stand before the judgment seat of God, Jesus Christ will be there and say, Father, I want you to accept him just like you accept me. I stand and vouch for this person. How? He's not been good enough. He's not done it right enough. Yeah, but my blood covers all the sin. Look at it. Read it. Hallelujah. The devil hates that letter you got from God. And he don't want you to know what's in that letter. Read it. It's a great letter. It's a great letter. The love of Christ permeates and transforms how we live toward each other. Philemon was saying, I'm not going to accept this guy. I'm not going to have, if I have anything to do with him, I'll either have him killed or run him off as a fugitive. But Paul's letter changed his attitude toward Onesimus. God's letter, Jesus' letter changes. And listen, when we look at each other, when we deal with each other, when we have to live with each other and work together with each other, the gospel transforms our relationship. People that you can't stand, people that you don't like, the gospel, the, the, the love of God, the Bible serving Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ changes your relationship with your brother and sister. And you just love them to death. Just love them and love How? Through them by the love of Jesus Christ. It's not agape love. You might not like what they do. But you can accept them through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? You can accept them through the love of Jesus Christ. Let's look at number six. Paul appeals to Philemon. In a spirit of gentle persuasion, so that Philemon of his own volition would let love and forgiveness direct his actions. I want to deal with this just a little bit because I think it's very important. You see, Paul could have said to him, I want you to do this, and I command you to do that." He didn't do that. He wanted Philemon to choose to let Onesimus go. And you know, God Almighty, he's all powerful. He could make us serve him. He could make us cry uncle, but he don't do it. He said, I write this letter to you. I want you to serve me by choosing me i want you to be motivated intrinsically not extrinsically there's a difference we choose the church needs to be intrinsically motivated i go to church because i want to i read my bible because i desire to i witness because I want to. Not because I serve God because I want to. Not because I'm afraid I'll go to hell. But I want to serve Him. If there was no heaven to gain or hell to shun, I still want to serve Him. I want to serve Him. I'm motivated from inside out, not outside in. The reason most people don't change is because they're motivated extrinsically instead of intrinsically. I read this little story the other day uh, about intrinsic motivation. It said, some time ago, a college wrestling team was traveling to a neighboring college to compete in a wrestling match that evening. As they traveled, the coach warned them of the other team's strategy. They have perfected a certain hold and have been winning all of their recent matches, he said to his team. The particular maneuver that has been winning for them is called the double reverse the double reverse here is the way it works your opponent gets a hold on you then he folds you up once then he folds you up again and while you're helpless he throws you down and pins you before you know before you know it the match is over Now, the only person probably knows what I'm talking about much is Colin here today But I went online and saw YouTube how a guy, it was called the double reverse chicken wing or something. I don't know what it was called. But he pinned him. The other guy pinned him. So they got to the college and they had five wrestlers. And he told them, he said, I want you to take this serious. This is the way they win the matches. So the first wrestler, he goes out and he wrestles and it was no time before he was defeated old coach just couldn't believe it. They didn't pay much attention to the coach. They didn't listen to the coach. The second wrestler, he goes out no time again. He was defeated. The third wrestler, the fourth one, every time. And the coach just bowed his head. Those guys didn't listen to me. That's how they win the match every time. So the fifth wrestler goes out and he's wrestling. Sure enough, here comes that hold. And he's about to be pinned, and the coach just drops his head, closes his eyes, and he's not going to look at this last. He wanted to at least win one match, and then all of a sudden the bench just sprung up and started cheering, and he lifted up his head, and the wrestler had 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 won the match. His boy had, his guy had won the match. So after the uh, he got finished, and they were. Coach put his arm around him, took him over to side, and said, "I want to know what happened." I bowed my head, and all of a sudden, you won the match. And the wrestler said, "You know, Coach, he had me turned every way like a he had me like a pretzel. And when I opened my eyes, the only thing I could see was a toe." And he said, "I reached." He said, "I reached out and got a hold of that toe and bit all I could on that toe." And he said, it's amazing what happens when you bite off your own toe. (laughs) You see, he was motivated. But he was extrinsically motivated. I mean, that, that motivated him to break that wrestling hole. But God wants us to be motivated from inward and let it come to the outside. Running from your problems or our problems won't solve them. You see, Onesimus could have run on. He didn't have to talk to Paul. But he took time to talk to this great man of faith. And Paul said, listen, here's what I want you to do. And he did. I watch people so often that have problems. They're in bondage and they try to run from them. They try to drown it with alcohol. They try to drown their problems with drugs. And we watch people all the time. I watch people get divorces. Please don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. You divorcees, I'm not here to criticize anyone. And I'm no better than anyone. But I watch people all the time trying to get away from their problem. And they find out, I'm not getting away from a problem. You don't run from your problem. Jonah tried to run. But he made a mistake. And a lot of people that are trying to run, they make a mistake. If you have a problem, don't try to drown it with alcohol. Don't try to do away with it with all kind of gimmicks. and, You know, we we'll, we'll do all kind of things. Listen. We, we, we're in the world and we go here, we go there. We keep ourselves busy trying to drown out all those problems. The best thing to understand is the problem that you're having is an opportunity for the power of God to work in your life. Amen. Let me say that again. Don't run from your problem. Take it to, take it to the Lord. And that problem, God can turn it around And make it one of the the most blessed opportunities you've ever seen. I see it happen, and I know you do too, all the time where people take those problems, tackle those problems through and by the grace and the love and the power of God. And come out victorious and look back and say, wow, thank you, Father. And you're stronger. You're a better Christian, a better person, simply because you stopped running from your problems. And you started believing God to satisfy you. What empowered those transformed relationships was the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love nine and I'll finish. I'm closing as Sister Judy comes. I want you to play me that song. I am the God that healeth thee. Look at number nine. Oh, what a God, lover of sinners that he is. How he delights to reach the lost and the needy. God Delighted in mercy. When you read and you find out. What happened to Onesimus. Someone said what did happen to him. Well the Bible is not clear. On what happened to him. But history has it this way. Uh, and it's believed that Philemon let him go. Once he came back. And he read the letter. He sent him back to The apostle Paul in Rome and became Paul's partner in the ministry. And that he also became the bishop of Ephesus. God turned this slave into a son, a brother in the Lord, and a bishop, a minister of the gospel. God knows how to turn our lives And he's here today. I started this sermon off by saying he's here today. God wants to touch your life. If you're trying to run from problems, stop. There's a song I used to sing. Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap up all the dreams of your life. And at the feet of Jesus, lay them down. You can lay it down today. Pastor, do you believe all that stuff? Mm-hmm. You, believe, you say God's a healer. I do believe God's a healer. I know he's a healer. You know when you've been through cancer three times and you can stand up and say I'm free of cancer because God Almighty touched me, you believe it. And it doesn't matter. I've seen many of you. Listen, if you had every person in this church that has battled cancer, some of them, the doctor said, listen, they got a year to live that's been years ago, is still living. God's a healer. Now, I'm not a God. I'm not sovereign. I don't, listen, I exercise faith when we pray. We believe God when we pray. God's the one that does the healing. As you and I exercise faith today, God's gonna set some free from fear. I don't believe this team chose this song Are you a slave to fear? And then I had this sermon. I don't believe that just happened. I believe God orchestrated these two things today. To tell you, no matter what fear has attached itself to you, no matter what's coming your way, God sets you free. He's going to do it today. Some of you are struggling with fear. God's going to set you free. Some are struggling with sin in your life, habits in your life. You need to get rid of them. Pastor, you believe the Lord has set me free from alcohol? Yes. You believe the Lord has set me free from p- pornography? Yes. You believe the Lord has set me free from drugs? Yes. You believe the Lord has set me free from hate, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, jealousy. Let me tell you something. Jealousy? is as cruel as the grave. It will haunt you. It will pull you down. It will wear you down. But God sets you free today.